Welcome to PTG TV. This is your host, Antonio Hicks, and I have a special story for you today. Something that's touching, and I was glad to get this interview because I think it's one that we all can imagine that we're in right now, but we don't want to be in. It's just taking places in multiple places across this world. So let me paint the picture for you. So just imagine waking up to a loud boom, not knowing if it's fireworks or if it's gunfire or something that's far worse than that. Imagine finding out that it was the latter of all of those things. You now have to flee a country that's actively being bombed with hardly anything but essentials and your family pet. You have no idea where you're going or what to do when you get to that destination where you think you might actually feel safe. Think about having to take a long and treacherous journey in the cold weather, walking for days through the Ukrainian countryside. That's right, Ukraine. Because you don't know where the attack is coming from. Now just imagine doing that with no supplies. You're hungry, you're thirsty, and you're exhausted. You do this with the hopes that you can just make it to one of the country's borders that you might have some type of safety. This is the story of my guest, who for the sake of this interview will remain anonymous. And her story surviving the first nights of bombs in Ukraine. Now, this story is just one of many stories of survival and resilience that have emerged from the war between Ukraine and Russia. It is a story of courage, determination, and hope in the face of unimaginable adversity. So I hope this story helps you connect with the emotions of the people who have been affected by this conflict and other conflicts around the world. Let me know what you have, if you have any questions or what you think about this episode. Sit back, relax, enjoy this interview, and let's kind of let's put ourselves in the shoes of all of those that are suffering in this hard time right now and all these wars that's taking place. Thank you for joining on. Thank you for the invite. And, you know, I appreciate you for coming on and telling your story. If you can, you know, tell us a little bit about who you are and why this is so important to you and getting your uh, the message out. Um. A little bit about myself. Uh, I'm a first generation. I'm born to two um, immigrant parents. Uh, they came from India. Um, I grew up my whole life in Bay Area. I went to high school up in San Jose and um, then did my undergraduate degree in biochemistry from Cal Poly. Um, before I made the decision to look for cheaper alternatives to U.S. medical schools, just because the tuition was so high and I didn't want to have a debt by the time I'm 50. <laughs> so I, I was believing in, I still do believe in financial freedom for, for young people, especially in this economy. It's impossible for uh, people our age to afford housing, much less anything else. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, during the course of my research, I did find a few countries, Poland, Ukraine, uh, the Philippines, even uh, Georgia, uh, the country, <laughs> as options to study medicine, and I chose Ukraine because it was only four thousand eight hundred dollars a year. Oh wow! Uh, tuition wise, yeah, and uh, the system of education there um, really benefited me because I have ADHD. So, um, you know, standard methods of education are quite tricky for me to navigate around the whole midterm, midterm, final with Ukraine. It's a lot easier because uh, they have tests every day. So it's active learning. So mm-hmm. you know that you have a subject to prepare for um, one day and you take an exam on that same subject that you just learned the same day. So it's positive reinforcement to let that 
sit in your memory. And it was really rewarding for me. And I, I still consider Ukraine my second home. It was like the only country I've ever lived in outside of the U.S. And um, yes, and uh, third year, second semester started. And lo and behold, uh, I woke up to the sound of bombs at 4.45 a.m. Um, and my dog, I had a dog in Ukraine and um, she was whimpering and I didn't understand why. I was like, biscuit, biscuit, be quiet. <laughs> and uh, then uh, I woke up to the sound of bombs and I, I didn't believe what I heard. I was like, oh, maybe it was a gunshot because mm-hmm. that's what we're used to in the States. <laughs> was so, it extremely loud or was it like you could hear something like in the, like a pop in the distance? It was or- loud. It was okay. loud. I was like confused. I I didn't know what a bomb sounded like, so I didn't really have much to to go off of or to compare that to. So um, then I started uh, thinking maybe it's a drill. Maybe it's just a drill. Uh, I checked um, my phone and my classmates who lived on the other side of the city were posting like videos of they saw fire and cloud in the distance and we were freaking out. At the time, all the train tickets were by reservation only and mm-hmm. bus tickets too. You can imagine everything got bought up quite quickly. Um, so there was no option for me to do that. Um, you couldn't rent a car for obvious reasons. People weren't. I tried, but they weren't responding. And um, so my friend's friend is, was taking a taxi to Lviv which is on the west side of Ukraine. I was in Kharkov, which is on the east side. It's 40 kilometers or roughly 80 miles from the Russian border. Mm-hmm. Obviously not too far. And um, I said, okay, let's do it. Uh, and then they told me, like, no no suitcases. I said, are you serious? They said, yeah, you can't bring anything. There's no space. And I was so confused. I was like, okay, I'm going to bring my dog. And... Uh, I had just my laptop, my Nintendo Switch, my phone. Uh, <laughs> I'm, my sure people, I'm sure my listeners would love to hear that, that you, you saved your Switch. <laughs> that's in the gamer nerds. I had to, <laughs> I had to do it. I had to do it. <laughs> and um, just one extra change of clothes. And uh, while we were trying to leave the city, my who I thought was my friend, he started hitting my dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she was whispering yes he started hitting her and I was like stop stop and he said okay I'm like either you and your dog go or uh, you stay and the dog we leave it with the taxi driver so keep in mind I was the only American in this car the rest of the four the four including the taxi driver mm-hmm. were more often so they were speaking in their language and I didn't really understand much other than oh. a few words and now at this time, like how bad had things had gotten? Like, was there? I mean, had they already announced were like the sirens and stuff going off from bombs being dropped? Or did they even have sirens? At that time, nobody knew. It was shock. It was fresh. Like nothing happened, and uh, the telecommunication towers went down, so there was not even signal to call anyone or figure out what was happening. Like okay. two hours after the bomb, um, and people thought, oh, it was just one bomb. Maybe that's all. Uh, but people were running. Like mm-hmm. we were packing up our bags and going and. So then, um, basically against my will, um, my dog was taken from me. I was forced to pay a thousand dollars for the care of the dog with the taxi driver. And I had nothing left, you know, uh, and I had adopted that dog and she was my emotional support animal because I have 
pretty bad anxiety. Uh, mm-hmm. So um, then we made the journey to from Kharkov to Kiev, which is the capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we went against curfew. So the Ukrainian soldiers thought that we're a Russian vehicle and they shot open fire at our taxi. Oh, really? Oh, oh wow. I'm sorry. Mm, and so they had already you know, announced that there was a curfew in, like this is like all this how fast did all this stuff happen 19 hours it's like 19 hours between Kiev and Kharkov so he between between you all hearing the bombs and stuff going off and your friends telling you that they uh they got a taxi and they're gonna take that to uh you said Belarus right they uh they started announcing the curfew and everything they, we didn't even know they announced the curfew because we were en route and the taxi was so bad. Like, the not the taxi, the traffic was so bad that uh-huh. it, instead of 19 hours, it took us almost like a day and a half to reach Kiev. Everyone was running from the east to the west. So communication and, towers uh, are down, so you all didn't even get a chance to even hear any announcement they could have been making over the radio or over, like, the cell phone Yeah, cameras. nothing. Nothing, okay. nothing. Uh, only on our way through central, Pol- uh, central Ukraine did we get um, our signal back. And um, after that, um, you know, we were able to speak to the Ukrainian soldiers and they were like, go, but just, you're not allowed to drive at this time. And then the taxi driver was obviously shaken up by this. Understandably, you know, he has a wife, mm-hmm. his kids and, um, in Kharkov. So when and they start about, shooting at your car, did, I mean, did it, you all, anybody get hit inside of the car? No, no, thank God. No, no one got hit. Uh, just, it was like the front of the car that was shot at. Okay. Um, I think they just did it to stop the car. Um, they weren't targeting us like we were a threat. They were just concerned, um, obviously, because everyone else had been informed to not drive. I don't know why we were driving at curfew. Um, and uh, my the taxi driver then started the journey to Lviv the next day. We slept in the taxi and um, in Lviv. About 15 miles from Lviv, he's just suddenly like, oh, I'm turning around, grab your stuff and leave the car. Mm-hmm. And we were all confused. And he was like, I'm worried about my family. I want to go back. And we were like, but we paid. And I paid $1,600 for a taxi. Mm-hmm. So I was completely at a loss of what was happening. Um, now, he had his, you said he had his wife in the car with him, right? No, no. His wife and kid are in Kharkov. It was me... And three of my friends. Also, oh, he was taking you all to like the border, and then he was supposed to go back. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um. So he just decided to not reimburse us any money, and just you all paid in cash. Yeah, he only accepted cash. And y'all let him leave. We couldn't. <laughs> He, he was throwing our stuff on the middle Oh, line. no, I mean, I mean, I, I'm, I say that jokingly because it's no way yeah. I'm going to give somebody $1,600 in cash no. and tell them I'm, a, I'm going back home. It's like, no, and I, I wasn't, I was, I was more focused on getting to my parents safe and sound. Um, and I was like, okay, this is what I've got to do. I, this is what I've got to do. And it was my first time um, hitchhiking in my life, but I managed to beg a few cars. And eventually a Ukrainian family, like, husband, wife, and two kids let me sit in their trunk with their suitcases. Mm-hmm. They said, we'll drop you off at the bus station in Lviv. And on the way to Lviv, I just booked a hotel and they only had availability for one day at that hotel. Everything else was booked. So how was it when you got to so, the border? 
uh, well, I didn't reach the border yet. I reached Lviv and then I couldn't find a way to abort to the border. All the buses were booked. People were waiting 12, 13, like we're going to wait 12, 13 days in line uh, by foot. So I ended up buying a car to escape the country. Um, and, uh, it came very sketchily, like two men just gave me Volkswagen 2002 touring with like, I want to say like 200,000 like miles on good cars though. I mean, it wasn't a good car. Like eventually, like (laughs) it just keeps getting worse. Like the misfortunes keep building up and, uh, they just gave me the driver's license, their driver's license Mm -hmm. and registration. They're like, okay, leave. So I drove and there was too big of a line. So we decided to take a shortcut. I ended up inviting those three friends like, okay, let's go. Let's split the gas money and let's go. Mm-hmm. And in the process of driving through the night, um, we ended up busting the radiator pipe. Um, we did save a day of travel, but every like five, 10 minutes, we had to pour water into the engine to cool it down, mm-hmm. push the car. Uh, we couldn't turn on the heater. It got to like minus six degrees Celsius. I didn't have a jacket. I didn't have anything. All the gas stations were out of food and water. I was going to ask it. So like, what are y'all doing about supplies? Like, like, yeah, with food. Nothing, nothing. We couldn't even charge our phones. Um, So you've gone a day and a half without any food or any water. We went three, four days without, we were stuck for four days at the border. Wow. And it was minus six. We couldn't, there's no bathroom. So we had to do everything in the fields. Uh huh. So there was that aspect of kind of humiliation a little bit. Um, you can understand as a woman. It's oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so, I come from quite a conservative background. So it was very difficult. How was the scene around you? Like, how were everybody else reacting? That I mean, the, the, outside of your friends, super helpful to each other. Like, when I needed to go fill up gas, the guy in front of me and the guy behind me marked my spot. And when I came back, they would let me back into the line. You know, they had every reason to not. And there were people who were trying to skip the line and offering like thousands of dollars. Like, okay, let me just skip you in line. I'll give you like 10k USD. Uh-huh. And the guy in front of me said, if you offer him that money, I will never forgive you on my wife's name. I will never forgive you. And we didn't accept any money. Um, and eventually after pushing the car and everything, we made it through and the Ukrainian border guards asked for our passports and our, and our vehicle registration. I gave them and they said, we can't let you go through with this car. You go back to the lot, the back of the line where everyone's going by foot. I said, why? He's like, you're not legal owners of the car. And I said, we have their registration. So uh, obviously all the government offices that transfer ownership are closed. Otherwise it would be mine. And he said, he was basically subtly asking for a bribe um, just to me, not to my Moroccan uh, peers, because I don't know, maybe he saw the American passport and thought I had a lot of money. I was blowing through my savings at this point and my parents um, as well. And, uh, I said, I have no money to give you. Now, I, I got to ask this question. Because mm-hmm. I've seen your picture and you're kind of of, of brown skin to a degree. Yeah. What did your mm-hmm. other friends look like in comparison to you? They, they were. One of them was a little lighter than me, but the other two were white. 
And that's and I ask that because I've seen stories about how the Africans and minorities were treated trying to get out of the country. And oh yeah, okay. But it's it's like it's it's kind of like a double edged sword. Like on one hand, like there's no doubt that people of color were mis- disproportionately like treated because you know, but at the same time, like some of these uh, some of the people of of color were doing things that were very like a very poor taste. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, you have to understand that most of these people of color are students. Mm-hmm. So the rule was, if you're getting on the bus, you can only bring one suitcase. Mm-hmm. And they were breaking this rule, and there were no there was less room for women and children on those buses. So it was like a double-edged sword. Like the students didn't want to give up all their possessions for obvious reasons, but at the same time, right. like then other people can't escape. So it was it was a mess. Like there, there's it's a multifactorial thing. Like there's no doubt, and I'm going to say it again that people of color were disproportionately mistreated. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that like some situations had caveats. And we need to be very mindful to address those caveats because uh, it is not the fault of the Ukrainian people. They were suffering uh, much more than we can imagine. They still are. Um, You know, and for example, the Ukrainian villagers at the uh, border who were feeding us, they weren't running away from their own country. They didn't need to feed us. They were doing it for free. Mm -hmm. Um, And I told them I'm vegetarian and, you know, they were mostly serving meat. And one babushka, like grandma, she went back and she cooked an entire meal just for me, vegetarian, and brought it to me. Um, And I'm a person of color as well. So um, I can only say that the majority of Ukrainian people are very kind. Like, they're very, very warm. I've never seen such kind people in my life. And, uh, you know, there are always bad apples, like... I would never I would never paint an entire demographic of people because of mm-hmm. a couple of bad apples. I mean, because I mean, it's no different here in the U.S. I mean, we have do we have racist people here? Absolutely. But do we have people that's allies that help you help each other out? We'd have that, too. So, yeah, I was just curious about that if it played a part. But, yeah, when it comes to stuff like that, I can see that. But mm-hmm. it, it still doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why would you want to bribe when your country is just being. Yeah, and I told him the same thing. I said, uh, I will call my embassy. If you do this, I will call my embassy. And I know fully well that the American embassy can't really do anything. They weren't really helping me. But, you know, I thought maybe the threat of it would scare him. And he did end up getting a phone call, um, I guess, from the American embassy, because I did call them. And he let me through without needing to pay a bribe with the car, which is a plus, even though the car was barely functional at best. Mm-hmm. Then we stopped by a fire station in Poland where we were given clothes and food. And what did you all do with the car? The car, I ended up having to get it repaired. And then I sold it back to the same people I bought it from at half price because I didn't have any money. And I needed to just reclaim whatever money I could to rent an apartment in Poland because basically because my education was disrupted in Ukraine, I ended up transferring to Poland. So... Yeah, that Volkswagen, thankfully, is no longer with me. <laughs> I got rid of one of the biggest headaches of my life. But 
It was a hero car, though. You're supposed to have kept that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even though I felt like we were doing more of the vehicle work than the car itself. I mean, we were the one pushing that that beast. Like, uh, we still managed, uh, you know. So when you finally were able to get in touch with your parents, I mean, how were they feeling? My mother was in shock. And she, she didn't want me to go to Ukraine from the beginning. She said, I'm scared that there's going to be a war. And I was like, no, no. The last war was in 2014 over Crimea. You know, Ukraine is at peace with Russia. And even my university, like, the U.S. Embassy was like, things are going to happen. Come back. And I went to my university, and my university said, we will excel you if you leave. Because this is your third year, second semester. And mm-hmm. In Ukraine, at the end of the third year, you have to take an exam that allows you to take the rest of the years. So it's a very important and integral year. So I was scared that if they expel me, I have to repeat my whole education uh, from the first year, which is why I stayed back. So the embassy was telling you they caught wind of something potentially happening. Oh, months ago. Yeah, they, they were telling me since November of that year. And this bombing happened in February. So hindsight... Would you have listened? Hindsight, yes. 100%. I would have left in a heartbeat. I cannot imagine why I stayed. Well, I mean, well, I, can, I, mean I can understand why you stayed. I mean, if the school was telling you one thing and the U.S. was telling you another thing, I mean, I love my country, but my country is known to lie. But I guess in, in things of that nature, I mean, they have no reason to. They're, probably, they're just trying to help out their citizens. But I mean, yeah, I can understand why you would have stay. A center. They did have a welcome center at the end of the border, but I couldn't reach it because of the car. So I ended up going to the police fire station. But when I contacted them, like, can you come pick me up? Can you like, I need, they were like, no, you need to make it here on your own. There was like no assistance to reach even the welcome center, the U.S. And um, even about um, the, uh, like, tickets back to the U.S. They said we can give you money as a loan. A loan to get back to the U.S. Yeah, but we will not pay for your ticket back to the U.S. even as a U.S. citizen, which kind of felt like a letdown. Yeah, sure. You're gonna have to make a little, you're gonna have to make a reel about this. I, yeah, because <laughs> I is is I, I have issue when it comes to stuff of that nature because. And it's not to get too political because I want to stay on topic with this. It's just we have so much money to give to other countries, but we don't do enough to help out our own people, especially when it's something of this situation is like you shouldn't have had to have to pay for anything. The whole thing should have been make sure that you got back safely to the U.S., no matter how much it cost. Yeah, exactly. And even just picking me up, could, you, could they not have picked me up from the fire station? The Welcome Center was only 10 minutes away. Right. And um, there wasn't a war taking place in Poland. So, I mean, it's, I can see them saying they can't come to Ukraine because it almost seemed like they were picking a side and they would be, you know, be put into the battle. But Poland, there was nothing going on in Poland. Yeah. So now that you got into Poland, did you get back into school again? I mean, how was like everyday life there now? Um, everyday life right now is the... It's good. Um, no, I'm saying like once you yeah. got across the border, like we, I'm, I'm, we're going step by step. Like once you got across the border and you got into Poland, like how was life then? Oh, it was difficult. Um, everything was difficult because everyone's running away to Poland. It's like one of the first countries at the border. There was Hungary, Romania, Moldova, and Poland. And so the housing market was just saturated. It still is saturated. It's impossible. Like 
the prices were just spiking up and um and uh then um you know, like you know, I didn't have income. I applied for jobs to become legal in the country. I ended up working um for Revolut, it's a company, mm-hmm. um fintech company. And uh then I started working for as an English teacher and um yeah. So what about now? How were your your friends? Are they staying with you too at this time, or they've gone on some other place? I don't keep in communication with them for obvious reasons. Like oh, a bit about my dog. The taxi driver ended up throwing the dog, my dog, on the street uh-huh. after taking me. Um. So, and the other two friends, they they tried to use uh, my mom's connections to get jobs, and it just sat very poorly with me. Um, because my mom was reaching out to them in good taste, like, how are you guys? Are you guys okay? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, we would be better if you found us a job because my mom works for a Fortune 500 company. Um, and so I don't keep in communication with them either. How long before you were able to actually get a flight back into the U.S.? A month. Okay, so it wasn't too long. Okay. Now, did you, um, now you're back in school now? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. So the um, education system over here versus what's, what's been taking place. It was like, how are you doing? Because I know you said you went over there because you have AD, and I have ADHD too. It's it's, it's a terrible thing. Oh God, yes, it is. It is. So with you going there, and I'm, I'm I know you were concerned about. I'm concerned about. I, my student loan is going me to the grave. I re, it's, you know I don't, I refuse to pay all that stuff back. And my my kids are in school too, and it's. It's a lot of money. So from the education system there versus what's over here, like, what do you, is, is there a difference in that? Or like, how do you feel about that? It's better. They're more forgiving. Like if you don't um, do well on an exam, mm-hmm. for example, you get two chances to rework it without any impact on your grade. And the teachers help you through that process. So um, it's it's an amazing system. And you have like an, a whole month to study. Um, before you retake your exam after one month, you can't retake it. So, uh, but it's like an amazing system. The teachers are all super educated. It was nice learning some of the USSR science. I felt like it was both history and medicine at the same time, mm-hmm. which, you know, is very much up my alley. And um, if I could go back, I would do the same thing again, even if it meant, um, going through this again um because honestly i've met so many amazing people so many amazing friends so many amazing professors and you know um they they were trying their best to help the students after the war they were offering them places in western ukraine spots and uh, and in georgia and you know like like i said some ukrainians are some of the best people i've ever met uh, they're very very down to earth and focused on community so they want to help everyone. And that's why I say I wouldn't say they're bad because I mean, even outside of the war, I had seen about the education system and how people were flocking over there for med school and other things. And mm-hmm. that's something like, you know, I understand situations come up, but you're going there for a reason. Because if it was terrible, yeah. you wouldn't be going there at all. Yeah, true. So is it, it now I guess that's the one thing I can say about their education system and how I I hate the stuff that we have over here in the States. If education is mm-hmm. the key to everything, 
you want to make sure people have all the tools possible so they can be able to pay those high taxes. In the U.S., we don't get a lot of those options <laughs> at, at all. Yeah. And that's one of the things I really liked about going to a polytechnic university. Cal Poly was really amazing because um, everything was project-based because it's polytech. Um, I was in a New York university before that. And, you know, being in the same class as 900 people was hard. Um, there was one intro class where half the class was in the classroom and the other half was being taught by Zoom <laughs> live uh, stream. So if you didn't come early enough to class or if you had a class before, like intro to physics, for example, mm-hmm. um, you couldn't even ask questions in the class because the teacher can't see you. It's just like live streaming the class. So... Um, you know, there's a lot of flaws with the U.S. education system and underfunding, especially for public universities. Now, what kind of, you're in med school, what, what are you uh, studying to become? Uh, for now, I have a few specializations I'm looking into, um, dermatology, gynecology, or pediatrics. I haven't really decided. Um, after medical school, you rotate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you do your rotations and stuff. So that's where I will kind of find my niche a little bit better. Um, so I'm just waiting for that another two years before rotations. <laughs> I'm excited, though. So, how? I mean, how do you feel about... So since you were there when the bombs start taking place and, like, how? what are your feelings on the people of Ukraine right now? I mean, are they... You're trying to do it if you can, like, help out with, like, protests and make sure they're covered when it comes to, like, defending oh, yeah. themselves against Russia? Yeah, like um, the fire station that took care of me, I was taking like a three-hour bus there to volunteer in the beginning. Um, And I kept like donating clothes and stuff to Ukraine. Um, My friend Nana, who was, you know, Nana, uh, she she works at a Jewish center that does amazing things for Ukrainian refugees. And Mm -hmm. so through her, I was kind of participating as well. Um. And just speaking to my Ukrainian friends on a regular basis, checking in with them, making sure they're okay um, as well. You know, it's a really tough time. And uh, with so many terrible things going on, like with Sudan and Congo and Gaza, like, you know, it's hard to know where to focus. And especially like, I can understand like the general feeling of overwhelm that like we face in Western countries with all this news, but um, I can assure you that once you go through it, like that sense of overwhelm goes away. Like I can't help but mm-hmm. um, feel more um, ignited to do something. So um, I'm always trying to share and support in whatever way I can, um, participating in fundraisers for the Congo, for Gaza, for Ukraine, constantly having difficult discussions with people who don't really care about these causes. If you're on an airplane and, just speaking to the person next to you, letting them know, hey, like, you know, these things are going on. What is your opinion? Educating them, you know, oftentimes in the U.S., because we have a very limited view of uh, Arabic countries, we tend to grow up a little bit more biased mm-hmm. um, towards the U.S. perspective of things, especially because, you know, our taxpayer dollars are being used to fund the IDF. Yep. I mean, we have, we're very privileged here in the, um, in the West, and we, a lot of people take that for granted because they don't get involved and they're ill-informed on things and they don't do their due diligence to do any research, especially when it comes to like things of the Congo. I mean, that's been going on for years. 
And it's because the news don't talk and they don't, they don't talk about it purposely because of, I mean, the stuff that we have, the, the minerals that we get from over there and we're exploiting them for, I mean, it goes into all of our technology. So why would you bring light to something that you're getting at a low cost? So mm-hmm. that's the big thing. I mean, we can see when it comes to what's taking place in Gaza between, you know, Israel and the Palestinians is they're doing their best to put everything on social media. And of course, a lot of allies over here, people with large platforms or are highlighting that stuff. So we don't have the same thing in, in uh, the Congo. And we definitely didn't have the same thing in Ukraine, which is why I want to talk to you because I'm like to talk to somebody firsthand. It's kind of hard to do unless you know somebody specifically over there to see what their experience was like and, you know, mm-hmm. their take on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. And my mom and sister, they were saying that uh, if they didn't know me, probably they didn't, they would never really know known what's going on in Ukraine. Um, there's a lot of pages that people can follow on Instagram. Uh, Kiev Independent is a great source of information. It's an independent news. Um, um, like journalism, uh, journalists in Kiev, from Kiev, and they post about what's happening in Ukraine and uh, some op-ed pieces as well about the U.S. It's nice to see a different perspective. So it's like, Kiev Post, Kiev Independent. Um, if you want to see what's happening on the ground, there's Telegram channels. Um, Telegram is what's used in Eastern Europe. And people are posting firsthand what's happening in Kharkov. Um, uh, it's called Kharkiv Life. Uh, K-H-A-R-K-I-V Life. And, uh, you know, even if you look it up on Instagram, they'll link their Telegram, their bio. And there's lots of ways you can access information very important like the only five-star hotel in the whole city was just bombed uh, recently so the war is still very much ongoing and it's getting worse the, the five-star hotel is something dear to my heart because it's where my parents stayed when they dropped me off to ukraine and to imagine like the hotel that they were staying in is now bombed it's terrible yes yeah, it's, it's sad i mean because it is i mean he's picked up putin has picked up and, and, and I hate it when the rumors came out that, you know, he was potentially dying from heart disease or whatever. I was like, this man is, this man is almost immortal. He's a vampire. I was like, <laughs> it's like he's not going to be no time soon. But yeah, he has picked back up the bombing again. And it's always curious like, where he's getting the support from because I'm like, he should be close to damn near out of his munitions, but it's still going on. Your friend, what was her experience in this? Like, what, uh, where was she at when all this was taking place? Because she was supposed to join us on the call, but I mean, she didn't make it on, so. She um, was an English teacher. She had a business, uh, not just an English teacher, she was teaching Russian and Ukrainian languages in um, Kharkov. That's actually how I met her. She was my teacher at first. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we became friends and, um, you know, the war totally decimated her business and source of income. She ran away to Slovakia with her cousin and you know her belongings and everything are just gone and it was very tough for her and she doesn't really have her family support so she's surviving by herself without savings without anything um in poland now um so you know it's, it's really tough for her but she's working for a jewish center hillel and um they're doing amazing things for ukrainians running away you know and giving them housing food clothes uh, community um, activities and stuff as well. So, um, you said what was her business again? Uh, teaching. She had a language school in okay. Ukraine. Mm. But now she's not a U.S. citizen, though, is she? 
No, she isn't. She is a Ukrainian citizen. Uh, she did just recently go back to Ukraine, which is why I wanted um, to bring her on because she has like live perspective. And she was hearing the air raid sirens go off every day. Uh, she went to visit her grandma who is trapped in Ukraine and can't leave because her grandfather is um, disabled um, in a wheelchair. And her grandmother and grandfather are the closest things she has to a mother and father in her life. And they're under constant threat of bombing. And she thought this is maybe the last time she will see them. So she went back recently. And So what are your, your hopes for the people of Ukraine, especially being a U.S. citizen? I just hope that they get their territory back. Um, I genuinely hope that they manage to have peace. A lot of them have lost their homes. A lot of them have been victims of horrible, horrible war crimes, like in Bucha, where, you know, there was a lot of essay done against very young girls. Um, I genuinely hope that they're able to get the support they need. Uh, you know, unfortunately, support is petering out for them. Um, I have friends in Germany and stuff, and they said, like, they stopped receiving social welfare from European countries. Um and these same European countries were more than happy to take like very qualified Ukrainian professionals, like doctors, engineers, and everything, and pay them less. Um, you know, Poland itself just saw like a five percent boost in its economy because Ukrainians opened so many businesses in the years since the war um, to improve a European country's economy by five percent is a huge deal. <laughs> um, you know, they're bringing in all their resources. Um, you know, from the first day to the last, you know, till up till recently in Poland, like I see so many Ukrainian-owned shops and flower shops because Ukrainians love flowers, and I think it's very symbolic. They love giving flowers um, on every occasion they can, and you know they're just spreading their love in other countries. And it's sad to see what they're going through. Uh, the U.S. didn't really help them at all, um, and. Uh, in the U.S., the Unite for Ukrainian program, they just offer sponsorship, but Ukrainians are not allowed to work. I have a Ukrainian friend who crossed the border illegally, uh, jumped from San Diego, and now is in Miami. Mm -hmm. And I just, it's like, uh, I don't know, like, it was a Catholic organization that was helping them jump the border. Um, so, you know, it, it comes down to, okay, uh, Catholic immigrants from Mexico aren't allowed to jump the border, and everyone's opposed against that, but Ukrainians are, and there's a lot of problems with it um, from this angle, too. And, you know, I just hope that they, they're able to go back to their home countries. A lot of Ukraine, a lot home country, a lot of Ukrainians, I know they, they tell me all the time that Ukraine is better than any country that they could live in. There was so much freedom, so much nature, so much respect for women. Public transportation was impeccably clean. Uh, you know, you wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning, you go on a jog, you're safe. You go walking 3 a.m. back home, you're safe. On the streets. The first time I was in Ukraine, um, a man was crossing the street and I held my keys between my fingers as a reflex being from mm -hmm. the state. And he saw me kind of tense up and he just crossed the street. And when I passed him, he crossed back. And, you know... Honestly, Ukrainian people deserve the world, and so do every so do so does everyone that's suffering. Like, like I said, I don't mean to take away any attention from people in Gaza or Congo or Sudan or mm -mm. even uh, Venezuela or <laughs> Mexico. Uh, 
but um, it is it is a tough time for us to live in. And as being from America, we're so distant from the rest of the world. We don't really see it objectively as a big issue. Right. And I mean, we don't think about it. I mean, and, and it's okay to have empathy for one place. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what you, that's what you used to. I mean, you experienced what they've been going through over there. So I can understand why your heart would go out to those people. And it's not that you don't mm-hmm. care about everybody else's suffering. It's just, that's what you saw firsthand. That's your experience. So then mm-hmm. it's one thing as Americans, like I said, we don't think about, especially with people, you know, crossing the border illegally. And I'm like, well, look at where they came from. I was like, well, if you if you were coming from a place that was war torn, you didn't have any access. The economy is doing terrible. You don't have access to clean water, food supplies, or anything. I'm like, you're gonna do what you can for the sake of your own family or for the sake of your own health. And it's like it might be wrong, but I mean, sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do, and I understand that. And it's not that we don't have enough land over here in the U.S. anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the U.S. has like a lot of resources and a lot of jobs and a lot of uh, potential for small businesses to grow. So. It would be nice if they did offer such a protection program that they also let uh, Ukrainians work and start businesses uh, as well. Thank you for uh, for coming on, taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Hopefully, I was able to provide some insight. Again, like my story with Ukraine has ended, but a lot of people are still ongoing, and just want to encourage anyone taking a listen to go speak to some you know, Ukrainian person and understand what they're going through. Uh, I think it's the best way to keep in touch with, uh, you know, what's going on in the world, especially, as I said, being in America and being so distant from everything. And I want to say good luck to you on uh, medical school, especially, you know, suffering with, uh, like I said, ADHD. I was going to make an episode about that. because <laughs> <laughs> It's my superpower and I am managing. <laughs> I'm just fine. Because I feel like it's hard working in technology. And that's the other thing too. I mean, this is like a sidebar thing, but with ADHD and it's like almost encouraged because you have to focus on so many things at one time, but it's bad because when you want to focus on one thing, it's hard because your mind is still thinking about the other 20 other projects and stuff that you're working on. So it's, it's hard. Yeah, it's, it's hard, but yeah, mm-hmm. thank you again. Good luck in, uh, in, in medical school and wish the best for, you know, you and your family, I'm glad that I'm glad there was a good story with you, a positive come, outlook, outcome with it, that you were made, able to make it back home yeah. and nothing terrible, mm-hmm. terrible happened. Yeah. And thank you for having me on. You know, I think uh, it was a really great experience to be able to finally share my story with someone. And uh, I appreciate you for giving me the chance. Oh, it's no problem. Because I like having these conversations because it's like, you know, if we don't have them, it's like people just like you just said earlier, people just don't know. And the best way for people to find out is like, you gotta, you gotta share the information because if we live so far in a bubble, we don't get to see what's going on outside of the bubble. And eventually that what's outside will make it inside. And by then it's too late to even know to do anything about it. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode. Please make sure if you're following me on YouTube, you hit that like and then subscribe button and make sure you turn your notification bell so you can get notified anytime I'm on stream. Cause when I'm on stream, you can get me firsthand and talk to me about any political issues that me going on or any gaming issues, anything dealing with technology, because y'all know I work in the technology field. And also, if you if you're listening to this on other podcast platforms, please like it, leave a comment, let me know how you feel about the show and or let me know, you know, sending me an email or follow me on all my social media accounts. Let me know if anybody want me to interview. So hope y'all are having a great start to this new year. I love having this person on and getting the first hand experience of 
what was taking place over in Ukraine, what it was like trying to get outside of the country and some of the people they had to deal with over in Poland. So it was a great learning experience. And I hope you all took away something good from out of it. So love you all. Y'all stay safe out there. PGD TV, peace out. Peace out.